It's good to see you this morning. My name is Luke Jackson. I'm one of the pastors here at Central, and I want to invite you this morning to turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we're going to be uh, looking at the first eight verses of this book this morning. Well, I originally prepared this message uh, for a couple weeks ago for Father's Day, and we had a little bit of a change of schedule, and the the topic this morning that I'm going to be preaching on is is God's wisdom. And... uh, and even though this is a great thing for our, our men and our fathers to lead out in, uh, I decided to go ahead and preach it after just praying about it because we all desperately need God's wisdom, amen? And, uh, and so whether you're a parent, a grandparent, a child, a teenager, a man or a woman, we all need God's wisdom. And uh, one example in my life that I'd like to share this morning, kind of how this this idea of seeking God's wisdom plays out as many of you know, my wife Kayla and I are expecting our first child in November. And, uh, and so we're excited. And uh, as you can imagine, uh, we're also uh, in some ways a little bit scared because I desperately need God's wisdom on how to be a father. Um, you know, I have no idea what I'm doing because I've never done it before. And so it's a little scary as well. But, uh, um, you know, th- this message is really for me as much as anybody because um, of what's coming in my life, but also uh, because of how God's wisdom has affected my life in the past and the present. And so although I'm here as the newest kind of father, uh, I'm also here as a son who has been blessed to have parents who are great examples of what it means to seek God's wisdom. And so, um, you know, their pursuit of that wisdom many years ago has etern- eternally impacted my life as their son and uh, for the better. And so you know, I want to be that same example in my own child's life. And so although I'm terrified in some ways to be a father, I'm also very confident uh, in other ways because of the example that I have uh, from my parents. And so this is just one example of this and how it plays out kind of full circle in our life, the importance of God's wisdom. Uh, but whether, whatever you do with this principle of seeking God's wisdom will also eternally impact your life uh, individually, but also will impact the lives of those who you influence, either for the good or for the bad. And so this morning, if I were to go out on the street, maybe in downtown Memphis, and just ask people that walk by, who is, who is the wisest man who ever lived? What do you think they would say? Who would they mention? Well, I did a little research on Google. You know, if you ever want to find like something like that, you can write in like the top 10 wisest men who ever lived or whatever. And I kind of looked at a few different articles or websites and there was a bunch of guys that kept popping up. But I wanted to mention four specific names this morning that I kept seeing over and over again. Not saying they're the wisest four men ever, but they're just some of the guys that were on the list. And the first guy is, uh, his name is Bill Gates. I'm sure all of you know who he is. He's kind of a modern day wise man. He's the founder of Microsoft, but he's also known as being the richest man in the world. And I hear the guy, at, the owner of Amazon, I think is about to pass him. But right now he's estimated to be worth about 88 to $89 billion. And so a uh, pretty rich guy. And so some people might say he's the wisest man, uh, at least modern in modern times but maybe the wisest man who ever lived. Uh, If we go back in history a little bit, maybe people would say Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein was a great physicist and philosopher, and uh, his name has actually become a synonym for the word genius. And so somebody calls you an Einstein, they're calling you a genius. So it's a pretty good compliment. But uh, he was a brilliant mind in history, and some people might say he was the wisest man who ever lived. If we go back a little earlier into early American history, uh, maybe some people would say it was Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison was known as America's greatest inventor, and he was 
uh, a guy that had over, just in the United States alone, over 1,000 patents on inventions or things that he furthered uh, uh, and made better. And uh, so some people might say it was him. Um, but then if we go back even further in history, believe into the 1700s, what about Sir Isaac Newton? Um, and so Sir Isaac Newton was a, uh, one of the most influential scientists in history. He was a key figure in the scientific revolution. And one thing that sets him apart a little bit is that he accomplished many things, many profound things in several different fields. And so he's kind of like a jack of all trades. And so, so the question that might arise this morning is what is true wisdom? And really, wisdom is not just knowledge, but it's, it's not having knowledge, but it's using knowledge in the right way. And these men had brilliant minds, and they did a lot of great things for the world and had a lot of knowledge and used that knowledge for good. But there's a huge difference between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. We often rely on earthly wisdom throughout each day. Not that all earthly wisdom is bad, but so many times we listen to what the culture's telling us or what the media says or what the government says or what politicians say or our friends or our family or our coworkers. And oftentimes we think we can do it on our own and we rely on the wisdom of all of these other sources and lose sight of God's wisdom. And so what's the difference between this worldly wisdom and God's wisdom? Well, in James chapter 3, verse 17, it says, it gives us a definition. It says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And so that's that's a definition of God's wisdom. And what that is doing is that that definition is showing us the attributes that are produced from God's wisdom. And so I would say that godly wisdom is is using knowledge to glorify God because these attributes that are produced from his wisdom glorify God and they're from God. And so this morning in James chapter 1, where we're going we're gonna to be, uh, the first thing we see is that trials require wisdom. All of us go through trials in life, and the people that James was writing to were experiencing many trials. They were scattered and, and dispersed throughout different parts of the world because of their faith. And James writes to him, and he, he, these first four verses, I want to give you a little background, just kind of summarizing these first four verses, but he sets up what he's about to say in verse 5, and he also gives the process that God plans for us when we go through trials. And so in, the, in the, the second and third verse, James says that trials test our faith and produce endurance. And then endurance spurs us on to maturity in the Lord, and, and uh, this ultimately brings God glory. And so for us, when we go through trials, for these people that James was writing to way back then, when they go through trials, um, the only way for us to consider those trials joy is with God's wisdom. And so James uses these first four verses to set the people up to receive what's about, what he's about to say, but to help them see that they can't do it on their own. That there's no way that they can get through trials and have the right perspective and to, to have the right approach without God's wisdom. And so this morning we're going to be in, like I said, James chapter 1. We're going to start with verses, verse 5 and go through verse 8. And so Read with me what it says here in James chapter 1, starting with verse 5. It says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable, 
in all his ways. Let's pray together. Dear God, just thank you for this morning. We thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to be here and to hear your word. God, we thank you that you are a generous God that wants to give us your wisdom. Lord, I pray that we would come in humility today seeking your wisdom, God. Lord, forgive me for my sins, Lord. I'm a sinner saved only by your grace. God, I pray that you would just use me today, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come and move in a mighty way, God, in hearts and lives today, and that we would be open to what you have to say to us. And we just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so this morning, as we look back at verse 5, it says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, and so it's kind of a question that we need to answer, do we lack wisdom? And the answer is obvious, and the people know now from the first four verses that James kind of prepares them and humbles them a little bit during trials. They desperately need God's wisdom to have endurance. He kind of prepares them for the answer of, yes, of course we need God's wisdom. But yet so many times in our pride, we often think that we can do it on our own. So many times in our pride, we often think that we don't need God's help, and instead we listen to the wisdom of the world or what we think is best. And so we see not only do trials require wisdom, but we see that starting in verse 5 here that wisdom requires prayer. What does it say? That we must ask. And asking is really, prayer is asking. And so uh, wisdom requires prayer because prayer is asking and it's so important. And so we must ask God for wisdom, but for us to be able to do that, it requires humility. Like I said, we have to come before God and realize that we need something, that we don't have it all together. And so we see that even the wisest people in the world that we saw a while ago, even some of the wisest men from the world's perspective, desperately need God's wisdom. I don't know if any of these men knew Christ or had a relationship with Jesus Christ, but how sad would it be if they went through life and they had all this worldly wisdom, they did all these incredible things for the world, and then they died without the wisdom of God? How sad would that be? I hope that's not the case for any of them. And so... Who does the Bible say was the wisest man who ever lived? Well, the Bible says it was King Solomon. And in in, uh, 1 Kings chapter uh, 4, verse 32, it says that Solomon wrote 3,000 proverbs over 1,000 songs. And he was responsible for writing three books of the Old Testament, um, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. And so he was a very wise man. And so, very wise man. And so this morning, I want to take a look at his life for just a minute and ask the question, how did he get that much wisdom? I mean, if if God says he was the wisest man who ever lived, which we'll see in a minute in this passage that we're going to read, then how in the world did he get that? It might be good for us to try to figure out his secret. And so turn over to James chapter, I'm sorry, turn over to 1 Kings chapter 3, and we're going to look at uh, verses 5 through 13. 1 James chapter 3, Verses 5 through 13. I want you to see what it says about Solomon. This is what it says. It says, In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. And God said, Ask what you wish me to give you. Then Solomon said, You have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have reserved for him this great loving kindness that you had given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Look, look at what he asked for. He says, Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart 
to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? So look at God's answer in verse 10. He says, It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have you asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment and understanding and to understand justice. Behold, I've done according to your words. Behold, I've given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall like, uh, one like you arise after you. I've also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among the kings like you all your days. And so how did Solomon get so wise? He simply asked for it. He simply asked God, instead of asking for all the things of the world that he could have asked for, he simply asked God for wisdom. And not only did God answer his prayer and give generously to Solomon wisdom, but he also said, I'm going to give you these other things too because of the nobility of your request, because I want to honor your quest to seek me. What would happen if we begin to seek God's wisdom every day like that? How could God use us just as he used Solomon? I mean, we know Solomon's name today because of all the things that God used him to do and how he glorified God through that wisdom and building God's kingdom on earth and uh, eternally. And so, so we see that. We see uh, those things happen in Solomon's life. And we see just as God gives generously to Solomon, it says here in verse 5 that he wants to give generously to us. It says that he is a God who gives to all generously and without reproach. And it says, if we ask, it'll be given. And so he is anxious to give. He gives generously. It'd kind of be like if someone came to you and said, I have a a billion dollars that I want to give you. And all you have to do is ask for it. I mean, how awesome would that be, right? But this is actually even better than that. And Solomon tells us this himself in Proverbs chapter 8. As I said earlier, he's the author of Proverbs. And Proverbs chapter 8, 10, and 11, listen to what he says. He says, Take my instruction and not silver, and knowledge rather than choicest gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare with her. So forget about the billion dollars. Even Solomon says in God's word that wisdom is even better than jewels. It's better than gold. It's better than silver. It's better than anything that we could ever have on this earth. And God calls us to seek that. And so what are some sources of God's wisdom? We know we already talked about prayer, talking to God, asking God for wisdom. We know that God's word is a, really the best source of wisdom, right? Our experiences that God allows us to go through, that brings wisdom. Sometimes God will use our circumstances and our trials even to bring wisdom, as we talked about earlier. And then counsel from other believers. God often uses other believers to speak through those people to us and give us wisdom. And so whenever we understand that we have access to God's wisdom, it's a game changer. How many of you in this room are St. Louis Cardinals fans? Anybody? Man, that's kind of sad. I mean, we've got the Redbirds here. Come on. Well, I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan. I grew up in, uh, I was born right outside of St. Louis, grew up in Missouri most of my life. And, uh, and I've probably been to 30 or 40 Cardinals games in my life. And uh, I don't really remember most of them. Don't really remember very many details. Um, and, uh, but there's one particular game that I remember pretty much almost every detail from that game. And there was the thing that separated that game from every other game was that I had an opportunity. I got lucky and had an opportunity to have VIP access. 
A good friend of uh, our families that went to our church randomly happened to become friends with Albert Pujols. If you don't know who Albert Pujols is, he's one of the greatest uh, players in baseball history, still playing for the Angels. He used to be a star for the St. Louis Cardinals. Just hit his 600th home run this year, and uh, he's like ninth all-time on the home run list and has a shot at being the top three when he retires. Up there with Babe Ruth and Hank Aaron. I mean, he's he's a great player. And uh, so he was always a, a great player. He, he played for my favorite team. But what I really love about Albert Pools is he's an outspoken believer. He's an outspoken Christian. And we happened to get lucky and get invited to be his guest for Christian Family Day back in 2008. And uh, Christian Family Day, they have a big concert after the game. And Albert Pools uh, and some other players would share their testimony. And this particular year, Casting Crowns was there. And we got an opportunity to sit in the box up in the club level. Uh, with Casting Crowns and Albert Pools' family, some former Cardinal players, former St. Louis Ram players at the time. And uh, we also got like an all-you-can-eat, like ballpark food buffet before the game. I mean, it was incredible. Like we felt like we were somebody important, even though that we weren't. And the game went on, and I think they won that day. I do remember that. And after the game, they had the, they had the concert and everything, Casting Crowns. And, and uh and then after the game was over, we got invited to Pool Holes 5. And Pools 5 is Albert Pools' restaurant in St. Louis in West County. And uh, we got to go there and eat and, uh, and got in this room with Albert Pools and some other people. And then after the dinner was over, we got to get autographs and got to get pictures with them and all kinds of stuff. And it was an incredible day. It was an experience I'll never forget. And the point of that story is, is that we, we have the same opportunity with God. We have access to God's wisdom, and receiving his wisdom is so much better than anything like that. And we have an opportunity to be a part of that and to have that in our lives. And whenever we do, it changes everything. We have the ability to do so much more. And so we see that trials require wisdom. We see that wisdom requires prayer. But we also see that prayer requires faith. Look at verse 6. It says, but, if, but he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And so we must not doubt, because doubting is calling God's character into question. Doubting is the opposite of faith. It makes us unstable. How many of y'all have been to the beach in the last month or so? We got some right over here. Look at that. So they understand. So whenever you go to the beach, right? The, the waves are unstable. You can't trust them, right? How many of you this week were, were in the ocean, you turned your back on the waves, there's some small ones coming by and you forgot about the waves and all of a sudden you get hit right in the face with one and it knocks you over, right? Well, that's what the Bible is saying about us when we are uh, lacking faith. When we ask for God's wisdom, but we don't really believe that he's gonna give it to us, the Bible says we're like waves. We're unstable, tossed back and forth. And so as we think about this, we know that Hebrews eleven six says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so faith is not believing that God will do what we want him to do, but it's believing that he will do what he said. Amen? It's not believing positive things will happen to us, but trusting Jesus as Lord, even when life brings trials. And so we must ask God for wisdom and faith, but we will be denied wisdom if we lack faith because we are double-minded. Look at verses 7 and 8. It says, for that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So double-minded men do not receive God's wisdom. And so if our faith is not in God, then it's somewhere else. Maybe it's in our money or our possessions, our success at work or our job. Or maybe it's 
our hobbies or the pleasures of this world, or maybe it's even in our family. And none of those things are bad unless they are put before God, and then they become an, an idol in our lives because we're not seeking God first. We're putting our hope and our faith in all these other things. You know, you've heard the phrase, actions speak louder than words, and especially to those who are watching us. You know, we can, we can say we're seeking God's wisdom, but if we're really seeking the wisdom of the world and our life is all about what the world says we need to do, it's hard to fool those that are closest to us, isn't it? Uh, those people that live in our house are not going to be fooled. We might be able to fool some people, but they will not be fooled. Matthew six fourteen talks about how we can't serve two masters, that we must choose. Are we going to follow the wisdom of the world over here? Or are we going to follow God and his wisdom over here? We can't have one foot in the world and one foot with God. We have to choose. So double-minded men do not receive God's wisdom. We also see that double-minded men are unstable in all things, just as the waves are unstable. You know, uh, has anybody ever heard the stereotype that men are bad multitaskers? Have you ever heard that? Well, I'm probably the best example of that, and so I'm probably responsible for that stereotype um, because this particularly becomes apparent whenever I'm driving. And so sometimes we'll be driving in the car, my wife and I, and, uh, you know, she's, ha- she's talking and wanting me to listen, and I'm really focused on driving, and she realizes I'm not listening to her. And she does a great job at pointing out that I'm not doing a very good job of multitasking. Other times, I might be listening to her, or I might be messing around with the radio dial or something, and I'm not doing a very good job of driving. She also lets me know that as well, when I'm not doing a very good job with that either. And the same thing is kind of true uh, with God, is that I, I'm du- when I'm double-minded when I'm driving, I run the risk of having a horrible accident and being destroyed. And whenever we are double-minded and we're not focused solely on God and His wisdom, we too will be destroyed because we're seeking after the things of the world. You know, as, as many things as God used Solomon to do, the really sad part about Solomon's life is that Solomon did not end well. And the Bible says that he had all these foreign wives and that these foreign wives had foreign gods and that his wives turned his heart away from the true God and his wisdom to these foreign gods. And there's a sad verse in 1 Kings chapter 11 verse 6 that really basically says that Solomon did not follow God fully as his father David had done. How sad would that be for us to end our life after God used Solomon to do so many things if God were to use us like that to end our life not following God fully because he turned away from the wisdom of God. And so the lesson here this morning is that even the wisest man who ever lived, when he turns away from God and tries to do it on his own, he fails miserably. And we too, when we try to do it on our own, will fail as well. You know, this, this uh, idea of wisdom and prayer and faith, they really all go together and it's like a cycle. As we seek God. It's wisdom and prayer, and we believe it in faith. It produces more wisdom and faith in our lives, and it's just a cycle of growth as a believer. I remember when I was probably fifth or sixth grade, my dad uh, had this lawnmower, and every time he mowed the yard, it's like he, you know, broke down. He would, it's, I don't know if it was every time, but it felt like every time this mower would break down, he'd have to work on it, get his tools out, try to fix it. And one day he got tired of it. And he said, look, you know, I'm ready to just go get a new mower. I'm tired of trying to fix this old one. And so I went with him and we started looking at some mowers. And the sales guy was talking to him, you know, trying to sell him on this mower. And I could tell 
uh, that he was really liking this one particular mower and uh, liked what the guy had to say about it. And I was pretty sure he was going to get it, but I'll never forget what he said. He looked at the sales guy and he said, I really like this mower. I think I'm probably going to buy it, but give me a couple days to pray about it and to seek God's wisdom. And I'll, I'll, if I feel like I still need to get it, I'll come back and get it in a couple days. And I remember t- having, thinking two thoughts, having two thoughts, one good thought, one bad thought. The, the, the bad thought was, um, I was thinking, are you kidding me, dad? Like we're here at the place. Like why make another trip? Like it's just a lawnmower. Just get it. Like what's the big deal? Right? So that was my bad thought. The good thought was, wow, like my dad even thinks it's important to pray about the little things. He even thinks it's important to pray about whether or not to buy a lawnmower. And I remember thinking, I'm going to, he went back and got it a couple days later after he prayed about it. And I, I, went, I went home thinking, I'm going to watch and see if this lawnmower gives him trouble and see if God honors his prayer. And I remember watching over the next few months and years, and as far as I can remember, he never had any trouble with that lawnmower. And what an incredible lesson for me as a fifth or sixth grade boy to have that example in front of me to see what it really meant to seek God's wisdom. Even in the small things, we need to seek God's wisdom in every situation, every single day. Nothing is too small to seek after God about. Joshua is a great example of this. In, the, in Joshua chapter 1, we know that uh, Joshua is taken over for Moses, and God calls him to be strong and courageous, and he sends him into a new territory. And he tells him not to turn from the right or to the left, not to turn to the wisdom of, of the world on the right, don't turn to the wisdom of the world on the left, but stay focused on God and his wisdom. God tells him, stay focused on me, and I will make you successful in everything that you touch. And we, too, can be strong and courageous for the Lord. God can use you just as he used Joshua. And so we need believers in today's world who are willing to stand up and and set the standard that God has called us to in leading our house and our family and our friends to serve the Lord. And so this morning, the question is, are you ready for that challenge? Are you willing to come to God in humility and desperately seek him? in his wisdom. Are you ready to stand with your life and say, no matter what the rest of the world does, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? What could God do if we, as a church, as a body, said, together and individually, we are going to seek God's wisdom with all that we have? Well, the Bible tells us what God can do. One of my favorite verses, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, says that he is able to do far more than all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works within us. Psalm 121, 1 and 2 says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where shall my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. God can use you. Our families can be a mighty force for God's kingdom. Our church can be a mighty force for God's kingdom. Just as as God has done incredible things in this church in the past, God can do incredible things in this church in the future. If you look at our community, you see all the people moving here. You see all these apartments going up everywhere. You see, everyone knows the school is going to be built soon, a new high school just down the road from us. And all these people are coming. Everyone wants to live in this area. And God has put our church in the center of this community. We have an incredible opportunity to be used by God in our future to make an impact for his kingdom if his people will get on their face and seek his wisdom 
We all know that God can do it without us, right? We all know that God doesn't need us because he's God. He can do anything. But I want to be a part of what God's going to do, and I hope you also want to be a part. We have a privilege, an opportunity to be a part of what God is going to do. And I believe he's going to do a great work. And I, I believe he has great plans for this church. Our country can be a mighty force for the kingdom again. As we think about this, our country on the 4th of July, just coming up here on Tuesday, we can be a part of the answer. You know, we say, well, we're just one person. How can we really affect helping our country come back to God? But we need to seek God's wisdom on how we can make a difference even in our country. How can we stand up and be who God wants us to be as a country again? You know, all we have to do is ask in humility and believe that God is going to do it in faith. Our true purpose in life will never be fulfilled in the wisdom of the world, but only in the wisdom of God. So many times we walk around like we're on the losing team. So many times we walk around like we're defeated. But the truth of the matter is, is that we know the outcome of the story. We know how history ends with Jesus being victorious. And we're on the winning team, amen? And so many times we, we walk around like we're not. We need to remember that. We need to live in victory. We need to live and remember that we have already, that Christ has already conquered. And through us, we can live victoriously. And so this morning, I want to encourage you. I'm going to ask you to move and respond to the Lord this morning in obedience. I want to encourage you to seek God's wisdom for your life. And so I invite you, in just a minute, we're going to do a song of invitation. I invite you to join me at the altar in seeking God's wisdom. It's just a symbol, being willing to come and kneel before the Lord at the altar and to say, okay, God, I realize I can't do it on my own. I realize I need your help and I desperately want to seek you and your wisdom. And so this morning, I invite you to come. Maybe it's wisdom just for life in general, or maybe it's wisdom for how to love someone in your life. Maybe it's wisdom on how to share your faith with a lost friend or coworker. Maybe it's wisdom on how to be a parent or a grandparent. Or maybe you're a teenager and you just got back from Oasis and God did some incredible things in your life. But you know, as, as great as, as that trip is, because I've been there and I know you're on a spiritual high and God did some awesome things in your life, but when you get home, that's when it gets tough, right? When you get home, that's when it gets hard. It's easy to, to do all of the stuff at camp and to, to worship at camp, but when you get home, when you go back to school and everyone else is living for the world, that's when it gets tough and that's when we need to seek God's wisdom. So maybe today, now that you're back home, you're a teenager and you, you say, I just need to come forward and ask the Lord to give me wisdom as I go back into the school year in a couple months. As I see my friends that are lost, I need God's wisdom. I desperately need what he has for me in life to serve him and to live for him. Maybe it's how do I serve this church? How do I get, become a part of what God is doing at Central Church and being a part of advancing the kingdom? Maybe it's how do I get involved in serving our country for the Lord and, and leading people to Christ? by my example, in our world. Whatever it is this morning, I call you to be obedient to whatever God has called you to do this morning, whether it's come and pray at the altar, or maybe you'd say, you know what, I'm here today, and I realize I can't really ask somebody for something that I don't know, that I don't have a relationship with, and maybe you're here this morning, and you, you'd say, you don't know 100% where you're going to go when, you're, when you die. You, you would say, I don't know that I, 100% that I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And just as we talked about earlier, I want to encourage you this morning to come in humility 
to realize that you're a sinner and to ask Christ to forgive you of your sins, to save you, and to come into your life and be your Lord and Savior. We're going to have leaders all across the front here this morning. So if that's you this morning, I know that they would love to pray with you. They would love to talk with you and to show you how to start a relationship with Jesus Christ, to take the first steps of following Jesus Christ in obedience this morning. And so if that's you this morning, don't put it off. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation, that we must not wait. And so I plead with you, I urge you, don't walk out of this place until you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you can come this morning and talk with someone about how to do that this morning during this song of invitation. He is a loving God, he is a generous God, and he desperately desires to have a relationship with you. So whatever it is that God is calling you to do this morning, I encourage you to respond. Put your feet to your words. Put your feet into action and respond in obedience. Those of you that are able, whether it's coming to the front and praying, whether it's coming to know Christ, whatever it is you do as God leads. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for this morning. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the victory that we have in Jesus Christ, Lord. And I pray that all across this room right now, God, that your spirit would fall on this place, God. Lord, that we would respond to you in obedience, Lord, that our hearts would be open. Lord, that we would be open to do what you've called us to do. Whatever that is this morning, Lord, you're speaking to each of us individually, Lord. I pray that we would ask the question, what is God saying to me? And how can I respond? What am I going to do about it? And so this morning, Lord, move in a mighty and a powerful way and that your spirit would fall and that you would receive all the glory and all the honor for everything that happens. We just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.